Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hi everyone, it's Vicki Basilica from the ASHP section of Clinical Specialists and Scientists. And I'd like you to welcome you to this special episode of Therapeutic Thursdays. Once again, I am excited to share some of the great clinical content that was a part of the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy this highlight and be sure to check back soon for more features. Okay, welcome. So we're going to be discussing the P2Y12 carousel. Uh, we, we, uh, my name is uh, Christopher Betts. I'm a professor at Selvin College of Pharmacy in Louisville, Kentucky. And I want to introduce uh, my good friend and colleague, Snehal Bat. Hi, everyone. Uh, as Chris said, I'm Snehal Bat, professor of pharmacy practice at the MCPHS University in Boston. So, so Ted was nice enough to throw together these uh, various uh, topics for us to debate. And uh, Snehal and I, we're going to flip a coin about this, but he's, uh, he was nice enough to take, take the uh, more challenging role of, of uh, trying to prove that clopidogrel is, uh, has better data than ticagrelor and prazogrel. I, I want to I mention that he and I have been good friends and colleagues for over 10 years, uh, but, but the gloves come off now. Uh, so we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep it from you know, denigrating into mom jokes, but um, you know, everything else is potentially on the table. So let's, uh, let's move right along here. As Ted had called it, you know, old school versus new kids on the block. And since Nahal's from Boston, I figured I would uh, discuss uh, a couple other things in Boston. So you know, Snehal didn't realize when we were given this opportunity that I had some significant control and was able to give uh, fobs out to the audience. Uh, so we're going to, you know, even though this is pre-recorded, I'm, I'm able to, you know, utilize what you would actually pick. So which Boston product would you rather be affiliated with? Would it be the new kids on the block? Would it be the New England Patriots? Would it be New Edition? Or would it be Dr. Bott? So I'll give you a second. Uh, I can see the results coming in on my end. You might not be able to see that, Snehal. But uh, as this comes up, and oh, yes, new edition wins out. You know, the good thing is Dr. Babb must be doing something right because at least people don't dislike him as much as the Patriots. And I was never as much of a fan of new kids on the block, so I'm going to kind of move ahead with this and and stick with, with um, you know, Robbie, Bobby, Ricky, Mike, Ralph, and Johnny Gill because – you know, that's, that's, that's how we're going to roll with this here. We're going to give Snehal a little bit of uh, any heartbreak. So let's talk a little bit about the, the data. So the, I think the first place we should go when discussing Prazogrel and Ticagrelor uh, and, and their, their ability to uh, defeat Clopidogrel in clinical trials would be just to go back to the guidelines. Going all the way back to 2013, the, the layout was slightly different than what we have right now. And the um, STEMI guidelines had kind of laid everything about the same, you know, any of these agents should be given for about one year uh, following a STEMI and kind of, you know, said, well, you could do one or the other or the other, and then potentially continuing beyond 12 months. The the NSTEMI guidelines largely laid things out in the same way uh, in 2014. Again, a P2Y12 inhibitor given for at least one year post-PCI and kind of you could go one or the other, the other. Um, And then, of course, with the exception of the um, recommendation for not using Prazogrel in patients who may not be receiving a stent because of the results of the Trilogy ACS and the increased risk of bleeding uh, if that was, was utilized. But 
you know, U.S. guidelines have been a little bit, you know, wishy-washy in terms of the overall utilization of these agents. And I believe that's largely been um, uh, the cost has played a role in that as opposed to the European guidelines where there's largely universal health care. Um, fast forward to 2016 when we had the ACCHA DAPT focus update. Uh, the recommendations kind of hedged a little bit more. So, you know, in patients with ACS treated with uh, dual therapy after coronary stent implantation, um, it's reasonable to use ticagrelor in preference to clopidogrel for uh, maintenance of the P2Y12. And they actually said the same thing about prazogrel in patients that have, uh, that are going to be receiving a stent and, and having dual platelet therapy. Uh, so then in 2017, you know, ESC not to be outdone, and they had really been preferential, given preferential treatment uh, to the use of prazogrel, ticagrelor over clopidogrel for quite some time. They recommended a potent P2Y12 inhibitor, such as prazogrel, ticagrelor is recommended before or at the time of PCI maintained over 12 months. And, and then they, they had this caveat here, and I, I am paraphrasing a bit with this caveat, but, you know, clinicians who have given up on life and the patients that they care for uh, use the ugly, impotent stepchild P2Y12 inhibitor, clopidogrel, blah, 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 something about bleeding. You kind of get the picture. And then- Paraphrasing, in, huh? Yeah, paraphrasing, That's... just a little bit here. <laughs> okay. uh, and then fast forwarding to 2020, the most recent set of ESC and STEMI guidelines. Again, P2Y12 inhibitor recommended in addition to aspirin maintained for 12 months unless contraindications or excessive risk of bleeding. And the options are, uh, prazogrel, ticagrelor, irrespective plan treatment strategy, uh, clopidogrel, only once someone stole your prazogrel, ticagrelor. And I think that's a pretty blatant recommendation or, you know, blah, 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 contraindication. So I figured I would start my argument here uh, with probably the most important thing because it's been spelled out in the guidelines that clopidogrel is impotent. Um, maybe not, not important, but impotent. And, you know, I, you know I, I questioned Sneha about this, and he thought the same thing, that, you know, clopidogrel is impotent. And, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, everything is fair game when Sneha and I do a talk, so social media posts are, are, you know, able to be stolen, utilized, or whatever else. But I felt this picture worked with a lot of um, other uh, interesting uh things as well. So if, uh, you know, you could utilize it in, in terms of Tom Brady is now a buck and, um, or anything else. In fact, at the time of this recording, um, Snehal is probably actually excited that Tom Brady is now a buck uh, because of the fact that my uh, saints, uh, you know, from New Orleans where we would be sharing this meeting actually gave Tom a 38 to three um, loss. So I do apologize. So, you know, let's let's kind of keep on moving on here. So as Johnny Gill would say, my, 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 what is Neha going to come up with next? So let's go speak a little bit about the data, because I mean, the guidelines are the guidelines, tertiary resource. Let's actually talk about the data. So the first place I would go would be to Triton Timmy 38. Yes, it's from 2007. Yes, we've all been down this road before. But as you remember, this is a trial on about 13,600 patients that had unstable angina and semi or STEMI. Uh, and were scheduled for PCI. They were loaded with either clopidogrel or prazogrel. Uh, and the primary endpoint was cardiovascular death, MI, uh, and stroke. And as you can see, the outcomes here from vascular events were statistically significant in all cases. So whether it be the primary composite endpoint, uh, whether it be second, secondary outcomes, 
Uh, and, and one of the few things that it didn't show an improvement overall in uh, was Prazegrel decreasing cardiovascular death and stroke. Stroke kind of makes a lot more sense because of some of the bleeding risk that's been seen in the past. But overall, you can see it kind of ran the table on clopidogrel. And yes, as you would expect, when you're not using an impotent therapy, uh, you're going to have an increased risk of bleeding. And I understand that. But, you know, vascular events or ischemic events in my patients are, are, are where I tend to be focused on. So, you know, to utilize a little bit more of a new addition on the B side of their um, uh, home again album. Let's let's give Sneha a chance to try again. But I'm going to try again with the Plato study, uh, where we we kind of looked at ticagrelor versus clopidogrel in a very similar patient population, uh, almost 19,000 patients, and they were either. Uh, loaded with clopidogrel or ticagrelor, and again, a primary endpoint of cardiovascular death, MI, and stroke. And as you can see, it truly ran the table here because ticagrelor actually had a mortality benefit over clopidogrel as well. So not only am I going to decrease ischemic events, I'm actually going to make my patients live longer, which is kind of important, not input it. So, and in terms of total major bleeding uh, with ticagrelor versus clopidogrel, there wasn't really any significant difference here. So, which was kind of um, shocking and exciting at the same time. So, moving on to BBD, and as you know, they say you can't trust that, can't say that in a smile, and I actually don't trust uh, Snehow with the way he's rocking this drink making here. But maybe the debate doesn't even really need, I mean, do we even really need to talk about clopidogrel? I mean, maybe we should be talking about some other things as well. And he's going to discuss with you issues with, with bleeding throughout with these trials. But maybe the issue is maybe my therapies are, are uh, potent enough that they don't even need aspirin therapy. So, you know, in uh, 2019, we had the Twilight trial, which is a multi-center randomized trial, um, and it looked at roughly about 7,000 patients that have had successful PCI and at least one drug-eluting stent, and they were randomized after three months. So they did get three months of DAPT, but then they were randomized to just do ticagrelor by itself with placebo or ticagrelor and, and keep the aspirin going. And they looked at the primary endpoint was strictly bleeding, uh, which will be his argument, and then a composite of death and other ischemic events. So, and as you can see here, BARC-235 bleeding, ticagrelor by itself did better than ticagrelor plus aspirin. So maybe the issue isn't really, oh, use clopidogrel because you know, um, you're at greater risk with the other ones. Maybe the issue is the utilization of aspirin in these patients. And maybe we can look at this moving forward as a potential benefit. Now, it was a secondary endpoint. It wasn't powered appropriately, but as you can see, it was non-inferior in terms of death, MI, or stroke. So, you know, but it is still your prerogative, as Bobby Brown would say, it is your prerogative to use impotent therapies. I get that, I get that, I get that. But then we could really just have a discussion about what's really better. Is Does it really, clopidogrel even matter? Is it really more of a discussion of is prasgrotacagular better? And that's when ISO-REACT 5 came out in 2019 as well. Open label multi-center randomized trial was only in two countries, 21 centers in, in Germany and, and uh, two in Italy, roughly about 4,000 patients. And what they looked at was ticagrelor versus prasgrotacagular. And of course, they were careful not to load if they weren't sure that they were going to get a drug-eluting stent. And again, primary endpoint was a composite of death, MR stroke at one year. Um, and as you can see here, 
the uh, prazagril in this trial actually bested ticagrelor. So I think this is where the discussion is really heading. Like which agent should we, we be using in which situation? But clopidogrel is kind of like, eh, yeah, if I can't use the other two, I'll go with Plavix in these cases. So I guess my key takeaways in this discussion are, if you care about your patients and their stents, I don't think you should recommend impotent therapies. I mean, honestly, if I had a family member that had an MI, I'm really not gonna go clopidogrel, that's the way to go. Domestic and international guidelines recommend the use of ticagrelor or prasagrel over clopidogrel in most patients. The real debate is between ticagrelor and prasagrel and not old man plavix. And probably the most important thing that I'm gonna to say to you today is that new addition is a super group within a super group of individual all-stars. So I think that's probably the main take home message here and the rest of it you probably already knew. So I'm gonna hand this over to my, my good friend or maybe former friend and colleague, uh, <laughs> Dr. Bott and let him uh, take this on from here. Thank you, Chris. Uh, I'll be licking my wounds after the recording stops. Um, but I think you left the door open for me a little bit, Matt. I think that uh, I have the ability to convince the audience that, quite honestly, nothing beats old school. And while you drop some old school references, I'm kind of hope that I can use the same kind of theme to drop my own old school references and convince the audience that clopidogrel is not done yet. And so with that, as I have trouble moving my slides, you know, Chris, I'd like to use a musical reference, but there's a lot of groups that came out of Boston. And so I thought, well, you know, let's, let's just be honest here. Chris raised some good points, but they're not all perfect. So don't let Chris sabotage your career as the Beastie Boys would say, because there's a lot more to this story that we need to take into account. And yes, he certainly did lead into an important topic, but he didn't really give you the whole story. And, and, and the fact of the matter is bleeding matters. And this was a very recent study with 45,000 patients that included patients from the PLATO trial that Chris mentioned uh, with Ticagrelor, included patients from the Trilogy ACS study that Chris mentioned with Prasagrel. And what they found in this analysis was that bleeding matters. Post-discharge bleeding after acute coronary syndrome increases all-cause mortality in patients treated with or without PCI, and that bleeding had an equivalent prognostic impact as post-discharge MI. And so while Chris was focused on the ischemic side of things, and certainly there is data there that says the ischemic, the more potent therapies have some ischemic benefit, although I'm going to dive into that a little bit more and question, is that really drug differences or is that clinical trial design differences? But let's not gloss over bleeding. This data clear, these data clearly show that bleeding is just as important and carries an increased risk for all-cause mortality. So let's frame the argument, as the BC boys would say, to what you want. And Chris spent a lot of time talking about the invasive strategy and talking about a little bit of medical therapy and acute coronary syndromes, but that's not the full story. All right, let's talk about all the different areas that we can use P2Y12 inhibitors. So let's look at the different subgroups of patients. Look at elderly patients, patients with high bleeding risk. What about our dual triple therapy patients with AFib and ACS? Certainly a role for P2Y12 inhibitors there, and I'd argue that clopidogrel is the best option there. There's certainly uh, issues that we'll talk about or we'll certainly try to address with cost, adherence. There's a lot that goes into this argument just beyond the ischemic outcome benefit that was shown, although I'll argue not as strongly as he might let you believe, in clinical trials. And we're thinking about P2Y12 inhibitors, we also want flexibility. We don't want to pigeonhole 
pigeonhole ourselves into just one particular argument. And so of all the guidelines that, that Chris presented, you know, I'll use the probably one of the more recent ACCAHA uh, guidelines, and they were not as strong. And so if Prasagron and Ticagrelor are so superior, and that data has been out for so many years, why is this only a class 2B recommendation? Why is it not a class 1A recommendation? I mean, if it's really that great, I mean, these guidelines have been the, – the writers and, and the individuals that come up with these guidelines, I mean, they know the data. But why didn't they feel strongly enough to make this a class 1A recommendation? Why is it only a 2B? And so when we think about what I think the argument really lies is let's look across the board. And common knowledge amongst P2Y health inhibitors, as Chris mentioned, for medical therapy, can't use Prasagrel. The Trilogy ACS study was not superior. Uh, to clopidogrel and was not allowed to have an FDA indication, so can't use prasugrel for medical therapy. He mentioned TIA or stroke. That's still a boxed warning. Can't use prasugrel for TIA or stroke. Ticagrelor and clopidogrel, we'll talk about what some of the nuanced differences are, but let's not forget that for stroke, at least as of the time of this recording, ticagrelor still has unclear data for stroke, whereas clopidogrel clearly does. And cost is not even – let's not even talk about cost. I think we all know that clopidogrel is by far the most affordable of these medications. So even as we start to look at this more closely, you can see there's a lot more strikes and question marks against the other two agents than there are clopidogrel. The other thing, as I mentioned, are, are the differences that were observed in Plato and Triton. Was, was that because those drugs are truly superior to clopidogrel, or is that because of the design in which they use clopidogrel? And I would argue that there's a little bit of both there and that you can't discount the fact that the design of the studies and the way they use clopidogrel was certainly not in a one-to-one -one fair, straight-up manner. And that's because we've known – these data go back to 2005. We know that when clopidogrel um, is, is, needs to be loaded, that 600 milligrams of clopidogrel is better than 300 milligrams of clopidogrel. And that, if you think about what you would use for clopidogrel in your practices, I'm pretty confident that the majority of the time that you would load patients on clopidogrel, you'd be loading with 600 milligrams of clopidogrel, especially in the cath lab. But yet in the PLATO trial, which was that one study that Chris mentioned that showed a benefit, 80% of patients didn't actually get the right dose of clopidogrel. More than half, 60% of patients got an inferior loading dose. We have no idea about those 14%, but 19.6%, not even 20% of patients actually got the right loading dose of clopidogrel. So are those benefits because of just design, or is that because ticagrelor is really better? And plus, let's not discount the fact that even in the ticagrelor-treated patients, more than half actually got a clopidogrel load first. So again, when you're combining one therapy um, and looking at these patients got two drugs, and these patients only got one drug, and these patients got the inferior dose, how can we be confident that the results are truly due to the drug and not the way that Plato was designed? Now, Chris talked about bleeding, but see, Plato, like a lot of trials in this space, they, they tend to use a variety of major bleeding definitions. And so while Timmy major bleeding was not different, I mean, let's be honest, Timmy major bleeding is not always the most sensitive and most clinically relevant definition of major bleeding. When they looked at their own non-cabbage Plato major bleeding, there was an increase in bleeding with clopidogrel. Remember, bleeding matters. It carries the same 
risk and same outcome uh, as ischemic events do, and it carries an all-cause mortality risk. So the number needed to harm was 142 patients. And patients discontinue therapy because of dyspnea and other side effects. And so looking at the same data here from the ischemic benefit plus the risk for bleeding for every 1,000 patients treated with uh, ticagrelor versus clopidogrel and Plato, 12 MIs will be prevented. But it's going to cost you eight major bleeds, and 14 patients will discontinue therapy. So if you look at the totality of events, we're actually going to be better off with not using ticagrelor because you're going to save eight bad things from happening. 20 bad things will happen. 14 will DC therapy. You're probably going to put those patients on clopidogrel. And then eight patients will have a major bleed. 12 patients will have an MI prevented. That doesn't look to me like a slam dunk by any stretch of the imagination. What about Triton? So Chris mentioned Triton, and Triton had a primary composite outcome benefit, which was only driven by myocardial infarction, uh, was not driven by anything else. And we already talked about TA or stroke being a box warning. That comes from this study. And again, the 300 milligram dose. So they didn't have an option. Pa uh, investigators, patients didn't have an option for the 600 milligram dose in Triton. It was only 300 milligrams of clopidogrel, which again, especially during PCI on the table, the way the study was designed, that is clearly an inferior dose and does not represent what we would do in clinical practice. It didn't do that in 2007. It's really not going to do that in 2020. So again, was it, is, is Prasco really, really better because it's potent? Or again, did they use the wrong clopidogrel loading dose? And as I said, the, the endpoint was purely driven by a reduction in non-fatal MI. Um, and because of the dose that they used, it's not surprising. They should have done better. If you're going to use one drug on the table and then use a 300 milligram dose, of course you should do better. This isn't really surprising. No difference in cardiovascular death, no difference in stroke. I already talked about the box warning. That doesn't seem to me to be all that great of a deal. Now, more importantly, when we look at what drove the reduction in MI, what drove the reduction in the primary endpoint, it's all captured here in the first 30 days. You can see how a very big difference in the primary endpoint occurs within 30 days and really doesn't change thereafter. Whereas the bleeding events are what accrue over time. So using the wrong loading dose of clopidogrel, using what is clearly an inferior loading dose, they should have used 600 milligrams of clopidogrel, stacking the deck in your favor shows that, yeah, you can win early, but you lose late because the bleeding events all accrue over time. And the hazard ratio here is just as bad, if not worse, for bleeding long-term than it is for the early 30-day benefit. Now, let's look at bleeding more closely. So we can classify bleeding in many, many different ways. But we look at clinically relevant bleeding, which would be something like Timmy Major plus minor bleeding. Those are the bleeds that are coming to the hospital. The norm needed to harm is 84 patients. That's just as bad or that's worse than the benefits you're going to get from preventing a myocardial infarction. Look across the differences here. There was no reduction in mortality on the ischemic side of things, but there was an increase in fatal bleeding by using Prasagrel. So, I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that um, that Prasagrel is completely off the table, but if we look at these data, we're not saving lives with Prasagrel, but you could be killing them with Prasagrel by causing fatal bleeding. 
So Chris mentioned BBD. I think actually we could bring in Boys to Men, ABC and BBD. is bringing the whole East Coast family. I am sure they would all agree that Prasigrel is nothing but poison. For every thousand patients you would treat with Prasigrel, yeah, 21 MIs will be prevented. You'll have six major bleeds, 12 clinically relevant major bleeds, five spontaneous bleeds. If you ever had a patient have a spontaneous bleed, I don't think they're going to care about any chest pain at that point in time. Five will have life-threatening bleeds, and three will die. Not one life was saved by using Prasigrel in this unfair trial by using 300 milligrams of clopidogrel. So, as we look across the board, I think that Danny, Donnie, Joe, John, and Jordan would tell you that clopidogrel is easily the right stuff here. Now, what about elderly patients? Now, I don't know about how many patients in your inpatient services or in, in, in your services in general, but over the past month, we've had a lot of patients who are 75 and older who have presented with acute coronary syndromes. And those patients are notoriously underrepresented in randomized control trials. So thankfully, we actually have other data that has evaluated the differences between Prasigrel and Colpidogrel um, versus um, or Prasigrel and Ticagrelor versus Colpidogrel in specifically in elderly patients. And the data here are quite clear. Whether we look at five milligrams of prasigrel, even the, the, the dose that's recommended that was, that was shown to be beneficial of 10 milligrams in Triton, five milligrams of prasigrel compared to 75 milligrams of clopidogrel in the elderly ACS2 trial, no benefit, so no efficacy advantage at all, but a 1.4% absolute increase in bleeding by using prasigrel. In Sweetheart, 14,000 patients aged 80 or older looking at Ticagrelor versus Clopidogrel. Again, no benefit. So if Plato was so amazing, why and Triton was so amazing, why are these data not carrying over in the real world? Why is there no superiority on the MI side of things? But both Triton and Plato, depending upon the definition, but both Triton and Plato showed an increase in bleeding. And in the elderly patients, that's even more so. Ticagrelor was associated with a 48% increase in bleeding, and there was 17% higher death. So again, these potent therapies are not going to be for everybody, unless, of course, you're like Chris and you want to be more interested in bleeding and killing people. I think that we should have a more balanced approach in terms of what we should use. And I think in the elderly patients, clearly, the more potent therapies are poison, and I think we should not be poisoning our patients and don't smile while you're trying to poison them as well. Okay, come on. I think that we all are striving to be better. And I'm not going to belt out the lyric because this is going to be recorded, and I know Chris would hold it against me at any other point in time in my life, but Steven Tyler was correct. Come on, dream on. Really? It's a lot of X's over there on Prasigrel and Ticagrelor. I don't see as many check marks, but I think clearly elderly patients, patients with high bleeding risk, you know, Chris mentioned Twilight. Let's look at that study with clopidogrel. How do we know that clopidogrel isn't going to do just as well with regards to monotherapy after three months? We don't necessarily know. Now, one of the things about Twilight that I think is interesting, and one of the things I think that we need to be cognizant of as pharmacists, especially in the cardiology space, is the fact that a lot of the reason for using DAPT was to protect the stent. But the stent technology has really improved a lot in the past decade. We're not planting cipher and taxa stents in those big, thick struts with a lot of polymer, and maybe there were some polymer-related adverse reactions that was driving stent thrombosis, not necessarily the uh, lack of antiplatelet therapy. And as technology has gotten better, uh, the need for dual antiplatelet therapy and potent therapies 
may not even matter. First-generation DES, big, thick, inflexible, lots of endothelialization needed to happen in order to actually protect patients. Our newer second-generation or third-generation stents, much more pliable, they're thinner, they're stronger, does not need as much endothelialization from the vessel. And once endothelialization occurs, do we really know if potency matters? I'd argue we don't necessarily know that. And so again, maybe these, these are ancillary matters that are influencing and making us believe that they're drug differences when they're actually not. Now, what about triple therapy? This is, in my opinion, a slam dunk. So look back at the um, P2Y12 inhibitors that were used in patients with dual versus triple therapy. Clearly, clearly, clopidogrel was the most preferred P2Y12 inhibitor of choice. Even when investigators had an option to use another therapy, they did not. That should tell us something. These patients, these investigators, the trialists had the ability to use ticagalore, but yet none of these trials used any more than a small minority, 3 to 5%, less than 10% of patients, 90 to, 93 to 96%, 90% of patients were on clopidogrel in combination with an oral anticoagulant. And so that data lies exclusively with clopidogrel. This is the guidance statement or the consensus recommendations from the American College of Cardiology. You'll see here, no mention of prasugrel. There is, a, there is a mention for ticagrelor, but the investigators in those studies were not comfortable using ticagrelor. 93%, 96% of patients received clopidogrel. So that recommendation is interesting, but it's not based off of a lot of patients. And so why is this still a debate? Like, I mean, we've gone through a variety of data points. Again, invasive therapy, sure. I think that we have multiple options. Medical therapy, sorry, no prasugrel. Elderly patients, sorry, no prasugrel or ticagrelor. High bleed risk, I'm not so sure. So if we're talking about dual antiplatelet therapy, I'm not so sure you want to be using prasugrel or ticagrelor. Triple therapy, dual therapy, PCI and AFib, I don't see a lot of data for prasugrel at all, and the, and the ticagrelor data is going to be minimal at best. Stroke, clearly clopidogrel has an advantage, has an advantage with cost, adherence. Side effect profile, I mean, the non-bleeding side effects for ticagrelor are enough to cause enough patients to discontinue therapy. Bleeding, as we've already talked about, outweighs any of these ischemic benefits, in my opinion. And so Chris mentioned ISAR React 5, and if ticagrelor is supposed to be so good, why couldn't it defeat prasugrel? Like, what's going on here? Where's the consistency amongst the data here? Plato was not replicated in the real world in terms of the elderly patients. Ticagrelor is supposed to be better than prasugrel, supposed to have all this flexibility. I don't understand then why it couldn't defeat prasugrel. Why was it soundly defeated in ISR React 5? How does that make any sense? So I'd argue we don't even know which of those two drugs are better because clearly the data is conflicting. And so at the end of the day, I would argue what's more hideous here? Is it the data that really supports ticagrelor or prasugrel? That hat that you're wearing, brother. I mean, my God, I know that, you know, Kentucky, the Derby, I get it. But man, there had to have been something better than that. I mean, I don't know. I think that's, I think the data here for Prasco and Ticagalore are pretty hideous. And so 
Just like Larry Bird walked off the three-point contest, so shifting away from musical reference, uh, I'm happy. You know, unlike at the time of this recording, there hasn't been a concession yet in another important debate or another important event in our lives. But Chris, I appreciate you conceding this debate to me uh, because clearly, Clopidogrel is the choice. And so, my takeaways here are first and foremost, bleeding matters. Trials always focus on ischemia, but now. A lot more data is focusing on bleeding, and importantly so. Bleeding causes an increased risk in all-cause mortality. And I would argue if you care about your patients, you won't let them bleed. Careful review of all of the data that we have will show minimal or limited benefits with the more potent P2I12 inhibitors. And I would argue that that is clearly washed away by a proven excess in major bleeding and all-cause bleeding. And lastly, to bring back our musical reference, don't let Dr. Betts sabotage your career. Don't poison your patients unnecessarily. Clopidogrel is what you want. And with that, thank you for attending, and I hope you enjoy the virtual meeting. Thanks so much for listening into today's episode from the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. It's features and content like this that make the ASHB Mid-Year Clinical Meeting the place to learn and to take your practice to the next level. Be sure to join us in December for more great clinical content. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.